Hello, welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast. I am your host, Joshua Tracing. And I am Corman Heller. And we're talking about sports today. Um, the once a week that we do it, as is the, I was about to say new normal, I'm not saying that, as is the, the, the current situation of our podcast and has been for a little while. Um, since again, feeling doing like old or previous season sports stats feels so sad. We're mostly making this headlines and we most have been doing headlines and we're going to continue doing it. Uh, so Corwin, you ready to talk about some shit that's going on in the world of sports? I am absolutely ready. Let's start with the sport we watch the least um, and talk about the least frequently. Let's talk about the NBA and their bubble system. Um, so we've mentioned it previously on the podcast, but now NBA players are starting to file into the bubble um, where all NBA players and personnel are all going to be living in the same uh, building, I believe, the same hotel, um, which will have direct access only to the uh, playing facility and there'll be nobody allowed to uh, leave or any outside entities to enter uh, during the course of the remainder of the regular and postseason for the NBA to preserve the integrity of the virus-free space. Um, And players have taken to Twitter... (laughs) to post their reactions to it. Um, And a lot of players have complained and have received a lot of pushback for being bitches. (laughs) Oh, man. As you were, like, going into that and talking about it, I was like, this is the exact thing I want to talk about. You know, that's what I'm going to mention first is just, like, how many players are just being... are acting this way. Uh, and just are not being satisfied with the fact that they're not going to get absolute top tier, you know, quality of living that they're used to with their millions of dollars. I just didn't know how to phrase it. Calling them bitches is that's accurate. That's probably about as accurate as it's going to get. Yeah, it's. I get it, man. You're used to a certain quality and we're all used to certain things. You know, if any of us had to take steps back in our lifestyle, you would complain about it. But it's 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 tough when the scale is so off towards a normal human. Like I saw pictures of the hotel rooms that some of the players and I'm terrible with names Mm -hmm. for everything. So I don't remember anyone's name. Um but I saw some of the hotel rooms that, that the guys were complaining about. And, uh, man, I've stayed in way worse hotels. Right. Because, you know, we're normal adjusted people who haven't spent the last, you know, decade or whatever. Whoever, you know, depending on the specific guys who are talking about it, um, you know, living in absolute utter luxury and not knowing. Like, it's the whole deal of Bill Gates not knowing what a, a gallon of milk costs. It's just there's no way that he's ever had to deal with that part of life in his daily routine in however fucking long that was. And uh, it's really just not a great look for them right now. And, you know, some of the other guys have been have been calling out uh, the, the, the whiners. It's not really a big deal. Honestly, the only reason we're talking about it is because there's so few headlines going on right now. Um, 
but the the one thing I did see uh, I saw on on Twitter today um, is some some woman posted about how an NBA player has already tried to get her back into the bubble, uh, and she was like, "Yeah, this season isn't gonna finish." <laughs> Yo, uh, like they just opened the bubble up, and you're already trying to get laid. Like this, they're not gonna. Man, this it's not gonna work. I mean, I don't know why it hasn't been something that like I've thought of or like that's come to mind about how there's no way these NBA players who are wildly notorious for this exact sort of thing wouldn't be trying to sneak, for lack of a better term, bitches into their hotel rooms. The NBA should just hire sex workers. Keep keep the uh, sex workers in the bubble. Yeah, why not? At this point... You know, it's not exactly legal, but laws don't really matter anymore. So why not? You know, all the all all the guys might like catch the clap, but hey, none of them will get the Rona. So like, you know, small victories. Uh, you are so so act that. Imagine if that's what you know causes this NBA comeback, this NBA bubble bubble to collapse. Just. Every single NBA player, like 60% of the guys in the bubble, all getting the clap. <laughs> or like, you, you know, you see some, some, some players coming out with herpes, you know, some guys got, got that bubble shit all over their face and all that. This could be, it'd be hilarious. Actually, total pivot, um, not even the same sport, literally, but remember how so the the MLB, one of the things it said is um, we're not going to disclose or we're not going to force teams to disclose which players get diagnosed with COVID-19. Um, so you're going to have to kind of just guess if that's the reason a player has been out of the lineup. Um, Which I feel like that's going to be pretty obvious. It, it would have been, yeah, except for the fact that every time a player is tested positive for COVID-19, I've heard about it on Twitter. Aroldis Chapman just tested positive yesterday. Did he really? I did not yeah. see that. Yeah, Aaron Boone said it. Um, Aroldis Chapman said it. Like every everybody just was like, "Yeah, he he got diagnosed." And I'm sitting there like, you know, they made like a whole big thing about this policy, and mm-hmm. uh, the highest profile players are already like being told, or the media is being told about, um, and. Like, are we even gonna try? Is it because it sounded like a kind of nonsense point in the beginning? I get the the maybe the legality of it with HIPAA laws or what have you. I actually um, did learn more about that. Uh, oh yeah, from the whole um, Ezekiel Zeke thing. So medical uh, professionals are bound by HIPAA laws. Someone like his agent, who he tells personally, um, are not protected. So basically, a doctor telling the world that you tested for corona would be a gross violation and would be a big deal. But because Ezekiel Elliott got this information, told his you know agent, who has never been sworn to you know these kind of laws, it doesn't count essentially. Um, I guess that makes sense. I guess that's the way it is because that's basically what happened. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I'll have to assume that's the way it works, but that still feels weird. Yeah, it's one of those things where like you expected it to be like this whole big thing because we all know like HIPAA laws are a big deal and you know, whatever, like it's crazy that someone would share that information around, uh, especially with when it's a guy like Ezekiel Elliott. But at the end of the day, the the answer and the reasoning is just as like straightforward as you could get. It's just you know, he has no reason to have to be held liable for that because he's not a doctor. Not a doctor. <laughs> Shh. Um that was a very deep cut. I appreciate that. Uh, uh, it wasn't even a trying. It just was one of those things that happens. Yeah, sometimes a good opportunity just presents itself. Uh, all right. Um, so you wrote a thing in our chat here that I'm I'm now dying to hear about because I did not hear about this. Um, can you tell me what the story is here with NFL RFID tracking? Yeah, so basically that's how the NFL has chosen to track players and basically determine what other players, you know, NFL players are um, within six feet of during the game. Each player is going to have an RFID chip on their uniform and their pads. And if it, you know, is determined that someone tests positive for COVID-19, either during or after the game, they're going to be able to go back and uh, look at this RFID tracking to see where they were on the field at any given moment, where all the other players were on the field at any given moment, and be able to uh, figure out who they were close enough to to spread this disease. Which, if it works, would be super fucking cool. Uh, I don't know the specific technology uh, and company that they're using, I've, you know, haven't heard of the accuracy of these kind of things before this, so it's hard to say how effective it's going to be, but at the same time, that could be really fucking cool. If have packages, you know, in FedEx facilities and the USPS, then why not work for the NFL? Have any of the players talked about it yet? Um, I've seen. Yeah, because... All right, so if that's the price to have your season continue, or I guess go one on as scheduled, one of the costs. Yeah, then you'll probably do it because, for one, you love your sport. That that is an under-discussed, but one of the biggest reasons people do these types of things is you have worked your entire life to play a sport, and you're going to play it on no matter what. Right. Um, and two, NFL careers are notoriously short. And sacrificing a year of income um, when, one, the income is so high, and two, you're expecting to get so little of it on a year-to-year basis, again, for the general NFLer, would be a lot to give up. Um, So I would understand it, you know, but I'd be – I I also wouldn't be surprised to have, like, an MLB situation where, like, the older guys, you know, who've, like, made some money or in some cases made a lot of money – Come out and be like, I don't want to jeopardize my my privacy like that, or I don't want to I don't want to put my my business out there like that. Um, I didn't. I I would expect someone would say that. I'm not trying to like stereotype anybody, but like I could see a guy like Aaron Rodgers saying it because again, 
been in the NFL a long ass time, made a lot of fucking money. And um, if he values his geographical privacy, might not want people to know where, you know, the team to know where he's going all the time. So yeah, that's you make, you make an interesting point where I was really only looking at this as they only wear these when they're on the field. So like, by all means, it's not exactly a huge breach of privacy just because there's tracking about where you are on the field. There's, you know, film doing the same thing that you would just have to do manually and all that. But now that has me thinking about, well, are they going to have to have them carry around these RFID tags when they're in the bubble or outside of, you know, the game situations so that you can tell if they're leaving the bubble, if they're, you know, interacting with people who are sick, whatnot, um, which is a very interesting concept to add on top of this. That just adds another layer. And because the reason I'm thinking about it is the main, and we've, again, this is something we've talked about a lot on the show because it's one of the toughest parts about sports reopening is once you leave wherever your team is playing, or practicing or whatever, which is the nice controlled environment that they're trying to establish, you enter in a world of variables that could lead to you to coming into contact with someone who's been exposed. And that's the biggest risk. Even if the the football practice field is 100% up to CDC standards, the real world isn't. The outside world isn't. And if I was a team, it'd be way more practical for me to have this RFID chip on my players when they leave whatever the, 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 the given area is than when they stay. So that way, at the very least, you can do contact tracing. Um, but again, if I'm a player, I, don't, I just don't know how much some players value their privacy over others. You know, I feel like at the end of the day, it comes down to a simple, you know, you don't have to opt into this. This is, you're not obligated in any way to have this tracking on you if you don't want you're just not going to be playing in the nfl this year you're going to be opting out um and yeah it really is going to come down to you know how much these individual guys value their personal privacy and you know that same geographic privacy that you were talking about and i can't i honestly don't think i could imagine uh, an NFL player using this as the exact reason for why they opt out. You know, like I could see a bunch of different reasons for why you would opt out of doing this. Um, you know, there's an abundance of reasons why you wouldn't want to play in the NFL this year under these circumstances. Um, but if that's the defining defining factor, I would say you're really focusing on the wrong things here. I would agree. Um, I guess we'll keep a tab on that because I, I am so fascinated by the fact that so far every sport has chosen a different methodology for how they want to approach continuing or starting their season under the uh, uh, during the pandemic. So I guess we'll also keep tabs on this just to see how it goes um mm -hmm. you mentioned opting out you want to transition over to baseball sure 
So uh, let's talk about some players who have opted out and tell me how you think it affects uh, that team moving forward. The first major player to opt out, right-handed pitcher from the Diamondbacks, Mike Leak, um, will not play this season. How much do you think that affects the Diamondbacks? Uh, I can honestly say that I should probably bring up the Diamondbacks uh, depth chart because I have no idea where Mike Leak would fill in. My first um, thought was probably somewhere behind Zach Renke, and then I was like, oh, right. Right, that's been years. No, that was last year, but it feels like years is what it, I was well, to get. Yeah, at. Tiger King felt like a year ago. So you're not wrong. Um, yeah, man, he. Wow, actually, I don't think he would be. He would be like on the bubble of their starting five, so I don't think that really would affect them all that much, unless you know, you value the depth of you know starting pitching when there's a high chance a lot of guys get sick. Because um, I mean, you look at their their pitching rotation for starters. You got Madison Bumgarner, Robbie Ray, Luke Weaver, Zach Gallen, Merrill Kelly, Alex Young. Um, I would say Mike Leak would end up being the the five guy on the bubble with Merrill Car- <laughs> Wow, Merrill Kelly. Uh, you know, I don't know. I am definitely not a Mike Leak truther. I don't have a whole lot of confidence in his abilities in the first place, so I can't say this would be a impactful um, opt out for me. Yeah, it's it's tough because I want to find a reason why it might be more impactful because it's sixty games. But if anything, the fact that it's sixty games will probably make the role of the starting pitcher less important, mm-hmm. um, especially when, as you said, he's. Oh my god, like at highest the third starting pitcher in this rotation and that's being pretty generous to how talented he is for a 32-year-old. So, yeah, this probably is not very impactful. Um which brings us to a very similar discussion we're about to have. Uh Felix Hernandez has opted out. How much do you think that affects the Braves, which is a bizarre sentence? Uh how much it affects them in you know, this year, probably not as much as it would be if it was 10 years ago. But, you know, that's an obvious and softball of a joke. Um, I don't know. I think this is Mike Leak 2.0. Exactly. The conversation we just had again. Yeah, It's like, I don't know. I don't remember whether or not he kind of had a, a bounce back year last year or if last year was the truly awful season that they had. Um, but at the same time, you know, even last with year his ERA was season, six point four. Yep, that's definitely not the bounce back year. Uh, Negative zero point seven WAR. I can't he registered one he singular win starter for them this year in any capacity. Yeah. Uh. I, I, again, I don't think it was an impact. Nick Markakis also opted out for the Braves. I feel like this is the this is the first player that actually is going to make a difference i know that atlanta has some serious depth in the outfield with a lot of really good young guys coming up um but at the same time again uh nick markakis is probably a fantastic veteran for them but is definitely closer to the end of his career than his prime um so it's again it's it's hard to view that as a game changer for them but at the same time it 
this is a guy that they will miss to some degree. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, their, their starting outfield as of right now is Adam Duvall, Ender Enciarte, and Ronald Acuna Jr. with Marcelo Zuna operating as the, the fourth outfielder, which is a very nice outfield. Mm-hmm. Um, so Marcakis being there would be fun. I think it impacts Marcakis the more than anybody else um, because he has a fringe Hall of Fame case built upon the number of hits that he gets. Um, it's the yeah. only thing. Yeah, yeah. He um he has twenty three hundred fifty five hits. So if he keeps playing for X number of seasons, he could possibly get to three thousand, which isn't Marquez has 34.2 career war. Like he doesn't have a Hall of Fame resume, but I don't believe there's a single player without three with 3000 hits that's not in the Hall of Fame. So it makes it an odd discussion that is a fun discussion. Right. Um because, you know, the anomalies that are baseball in general and baseball Hall of Fame voting in particular. Um so Having that fourth, fifth outfielder is that's an important position. I know it doesn't seem like it because it's like he's not even technically a starter, but like it matters. Um, mm-hmm. But they have other guys, so definitely the most impactful we fucking talked about though so far, though. Oh, for sure, for sure. Uh, that uh, is not even up for debate. Although that brings us to the next guy um, for the Chicago White Sox, Michael Kopech has opted out. Yeah, this one is probably the most disappointing so far just because I was really excited for what he was going to do when he first makes this jump into the majors. Um, He's definitely a a flamethrower that I have thought very highly on, highly of, uh, excuse me. Um, And I was really hoping he could come back from Tommy John, make an impact, and be one of these young studs we see kind of break through uh, yearly. You know, if you want to try and find a silver lining here, you know, maybe it's he'll have more time to recover if he needs it. I don't fucking know, though. I really don't. Um, I just wish he was playing. Yeah, I I agree. This is is the most disappointing for me as well. Because, for one, as we know, I've been standing the Chicago White Sox <laughs> these past few seasons. I really am excited for them to be good, and I think they're very close, and Kopech was going to be a part of that. Um, and I think that this is also officially now got to be the most impactful for a team. As of right now, the Chicago White Sox starting rotation is Lucas Giolito, Dallas Keuchel, Dylan Cease, Reynaldo Lopez, and Gio Gonzalez. And those last three guys are all suitable starters. I'm not going to denigrate any of them. Um, however, I think Michael Kopech would have slid into three or four of the season pretty readily. If not, and depending on how well he did, considering it's a shorter season, um, and you can kind of spread out the the starting pitching a little bit based on bullpen usage, he might have even been able to dethrone Dallas Keuchel just because of the two different parts of their career that they're in. Um, so him, being, him missing on this young team... Um, when he could have been a real impact player, I think is a therefore impactful loss, but mm-hmm. yeah, I guess we'll see what comes of him in 2021. Yeah. I mean, nothing else we can do. So here we go. Yeah. Uh, Ian Desmond has opted out from the, from the Colorado Rockies. I 
forget what position he even plays. Uh, I want to say outfield, but I feel like he's going to be one of those. He's is one of those guys that is more of a utility player than anything specific. Last season, he spent most of his time at center field. Okay, there you go. But he, you're right. He was everywhere: center field, left field, um, D. What the fuck is D? Uh, one is pit pitcher. I guess he had a rep at pitcher. Um, sure. which good, good for you, buddy. Um, love position players pitching. We're all about it here. Yeah, I, uh, I got nothing. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, that, I don't. I don't think this is a very impactful loss for them. No, I mean, again, he's one of those guys where a couple years ago maybe, but at this point in his career, Ian Desmond isn't really moving the needle for me for the uh, Rockies. Uh, and the Rockies also aren't moving anyone's needle anyway. So, <laughs> yeah, they're not a good team, and they will continue to not be good. Uh, David Price has opted out for the Dodgers. Also, a weird sentence. Um, Oh yeah, uh, where do you, you stand on this? Blind, what, who you know, David Price plays for right now. I would not have given you the right answer off the top of my head. Well, it's still weird to think about that trade being what it is. So right. yeah, um, the Dodgers' rotation right now is Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller, Julio Rios, Alex Wood, and Dustin May. So you know, I'm willing to bet that price would have been a starter because that's what he is. And one of those last three guys would have probably been a, either a six starter or a bullpen guy. But do you, on a scale from one to 10, where do you, where do you find price's absence? Uh, probably like an eight or a nine, just because I know, you know, having him in that rotation for a team that is not only competing, but, the honest to God favorites to win the world series before his departure. Um, and that's a huge depth piece to lose uh, when you're trying to compete with the Yankees and the Astros. So that's, a, also, I think definitely the biggest one so far. Um, I find this to be challenging because we don't know what Dustin May fully is yet as a starter, but as a reliever, he's been fucking electric. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with uh, Julio Arias. Um, Alex Wood, I think, is a reliable guy. So I, w- I would put him second behind Kopech in terms of impact. Um, but it, you're right that the teams are in different positions. It's like the White Sox are competing for relevance, whereas the Dodgers are competing for a title the um dif- the difference for me uh sorry to butt in is that go ahead. michael kopech and trevor may are both two young guys with incredibly high ceilings um but david price is a cy young winning p- pitcher for a you know like i said a contending team that's the you know odds on favorite to go to and win the world series you don't know what may and kopech are truthfully yet you know it's you know easy to look at kopech and say okay he's coming back from tommy john you know he might not be able to put it you know over 100 miles an hour every game he's gonna have issues with control whatever 
there's reasons to be concerned for both of these young guys just because the nature of young players. A guy like Price is very much a more locked in, uh, you know, the there's not as much variance in what he's going to end up being this year compared to the young guys. And I think that certainty is what makes it a bigger difference. I I certainly understand your point, and I, I'm not going to argue it because I think that you're right. I only held hold my opinion because, again, it's like it's a scale thing. The Dodgers' stakes are so much higher, and that's what makes price a big piece for them, um, whereas the White Sox stakes are so much lower. So having high value pieces fluctuates that position more. Mm-hmm. Like the Dodgers are the better rounded team, so the marginal utility of a great player is less. Um, Look at us with but, these economic terms. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, either either way, the, both high profile dudes for teams that need good pitching, like most teams do. <laughs> um, I also saw a headline that I uh, on ESPN because I'm on the Dar- the Dodgers depth chart on ESPN and they have MLB news on the sideline and apparently Kenley Jansen had tested positive for COVID nineteen as well and I did not know that I did um, not know that either but that is a big deal for the Dodgers too yeah I yeah, didn't think Dodgeritis would be multiplied but uh, I can't say that honestly I you kind of expect Dodgeritis to be multiplied in this day and age. Almost certainly. It will make the the timeline interesting because I think MLB's stance um, of two negative tests need to come back before you can come back um, makes a lot of sense. I like that. Um, So it'll just be interesting to see what that timeline is for like very, very in shape, relatively young people. Um, I'm very curious to see like how long it takes Chapman and Jansen to get back. Uh, I guess we'll find out. Uh, Probably a while. If I had to guess, I yeah I know I, like a lot of people are saying like oh it'll be like two weeks and like I'm thinking it's going to be at least one more than that and prob maybe even two but we'll find you know, out. It's it's one of those things where we don't know how badly they are you know how badly they have it you don't know what their symptoms are if they're asymptomatic if they're on a ventilator because again we talked about it HIPAA laws. You know, don't exist for everyone, but do exist. Um, and it's just, I don't know why you would just assume uh, that guys who come down with a, you know, respiratory virus that we don't have a vaccine for, that we don't have, uh, you know, an honest to God way of fixing. I know that's not a medical term, but. At the end of the day, I don't know how else to describe it and is causing so much havoc for so many people. And just having them come back, you know, as soon as possible without any, you know, long lasting repercussions. Which is, of course, the scariest part, the long lasting repercussions. Um, I will also, just because I didn't point it out, um, point out now that Arales Chapman did receive a negative test for COVID when he entered the Yankees facility because he had his positive test um, as one of the follow-up tests that all baseball players are being subject to every, I believe, every two days. So 
which feeds perfectly into the narrative Corwin and I have been mentioning of the fact that like you can't control people, the variables outside of the 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 work environment are unfathomably high, and this is bound to happen. And that's apparently exactly what happened with Aroldis Chapman, who tested negative when he came into the Yankees facility and tested positive since he's been there. So we'll see if this become, and that's why I'm not confident that like we're going to see zero positive tests moving through um, the rest of the season because like it's, it's summer camp. We're already seeing them. Right. But yeah. anyway, yeah. uh, Buster Posey has opted out for the Giants. Um, I will mention Buster Posey opted out for a very sweet reason. Um, him and his wife recently it. adopted uh, twins. They were born premature, and Buster Posey did not want to jeopardize their health in any way. And know that premature children can take a little bit, um, uh, need might need a little extra attention because of medical issues. And it's a pandemic. It's just scary in general. And so he thought it best to stay behind. Um, mm -hmm. which again, very sweet reason. He's also made a lot of money already, so he's not like pressed. Uh, but what do, how do you think this will impact the giants? Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to say cause you don't know where Joey Bart is and his progression and his ability to, you know, jump up to the majors hasn't done so yet. So, you know, even if they're at a point where, um, they think he's ready there's always going to be that, you know, time of adjustment. Um, and I just am, you know, I do think it would be a big enough deal for the Giants not having that veteran presence, but playing ability, uh, you know, Buster Posey hasn't been the Buster Posey that's off winning, you know, MVPs in quite a while now. Uh, as much as I hate to say it, because, uh, you know, how do you not love Buster Posey? So, I don't know. It's It'll be an impact. It could be mitigated a lot if Joey Bart is, you know, at a point in his development where he could come in. Otherwise, this could be a, a pretty big issue just because of the, the non, the off-field value that Posey brings to that locker room and clubhouse. Yeah, I think at this point that's probably his biggest contribution. You know, the the Giants have been transitioning away from catcher for a while. And I'm not going to sit here and say that any of their backup catchers are anywhere near as good as Posey is even today because Posey's still a reliable baseball player. Um I'd still say a gently above average ball player. Mm -hmm. But you know, they've been transitioning away from that. They have guys at first base who can do a job. And also the Giants aren't going anywhere this season. No, no. Um, so, if again, from, a, from a, a, a perspective of what are the stakes, the stakes are very low. So, so I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't think they impact very heavily. Um, the Nationals have had three players opt out thus far. That's the most. Um, we'll take them one at a time. Joe Ross has opted out. I can't imagine he would be a wildly impactful uh, loss, but at the Here, same I'll, time... I'll read the names. You tell me a scale from 1 to 10, how impactful. Okay, sure. All right, Joe Ross. Uh, maybe like a 4 or 5. Ryan Zimmerman. Um, I'll say 
five. Wellington Castillo. Um, I'll stick with a five again. All right, so we're pretty middle of the road for all these guys. Yeah. I want to say that I'm confusing Wellington Castillo with Diego Castillo. Uh, I think I you are. For a fact, I definitely am uh, because I just remembered the name I was actually thinking of. Um, so I, I, I don't remember much about Wellington, so I can't honestly say what his impact will or will not be. Would you like to guess the combined war for all three of these guys in 2019? Oh, I'm going to say it's definitely under 10. I will say four and a half. It's zero. In 2019, Joe high. Ross posted zero war. In 2019, Wellington Castillo posted zero, negative 0. 0.2. And Reinsman posted positive 0. 0.2. So the sum of all three of those is zero. I did not realize. I knew Ryan Zimmerman was like missing a lot of this past season and mm-hmm. like you know also aging. Um, so I and plus he plays first base. Okay, I'm now understanding why that's so low. Um, because I wasn't expecting it to be. I knew it was going to be low. I didn't expect it to be that low. And I did not realize that Wellington Castillo was like that bad last year. Um, but uh, I certainly guess he was. Um. And uh, as I didn't realize, Joe, I didn't realize that these guys were, I would have guessed like three, four, something conservative, mm-hmm. but uh, wouldn't have guessed zero. So I'm going to go ahead and say that the Nationals won't miss any of them. <laughs> yeah, you got to, you kind of have to go at that point. Words are fucking hard. Uh, yeah. Um, so that's, that's all the players who have opted out thus far. Um, and it sounds like from from us just going through them relatively briefly, so far we have had some big names, but not too many big impacts mm-hmm. um, in terms of opting outs. Do you see that changing going forward? Yeah, I think when we get closer to the actual season starting, uh, we're going to see guys uh, seeing the reality of the health risks and the reality of where MLB is at keeping this all together and realizing, you know, at the end of the day, this is not worth it. This is not what we were hoping this would be. And there's just not enough bringing me in to, to compete and be a part of this this year. So I think there's going to be a handful of guys that opt out later on. Um, I don't think it's going to be a huge amount because at the end of the day, it's still the MLB. It's still baseball. And, you know, you know, all these guys are as competitive and love the game as much as anybody like we touched on earlier. So I don't think it's going to be a ton of guys, but it'll be enough to make a, an impact for more teams. All right. Shall we move towards our, uh, our next and our next baseball ball topic? And I think our, I think our final topic of the day. Uh, the Mets. Hmm, the Mets. Ah, uh, the Mets. <laughs> so it's been it's been um, heavily reported. I won't say rumored. I'll say reported because it's true. Uh, Steve Cohen, the 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 multi billionaire who made an offer on the Mets earlier this year. Uh, actually, I think actually at this point, I think it was might have been last year that he made his first offer to buy the Mets. Has re-entered the bidding. 
and is offering a combined $4 billion to buy the Mets. $2 billion to buy the actual franchise and $2 billion to buy SNY, the broadcasting company that, or the television company, I'm not sure which one's the correct nomenclature, uh, that that broadcasts all Mets games um, to maintain the vertical integration between those two organizations. Uh, this is a lot of money, and it raises a few interesting points. Corwin, what do you think of this sale proposal? You know, Josh and I talked about this previously. We talked about it yesterday. Um, and at first glance, you know, the first time you hear that $2 billion number, you think, oh my God, that's, you know, a crazy amount for a team like the Mets where they're not exactly a competing team. You know, it's, it's a lot of money. But then at the end of the day, they're a metropolitan baseball team. He's got enough money. You know, it's not like he's taken out loans to be able to afford this. So he's going to be able to put some more money into it, hopefully turn the Mets around enough to where they can start being a team that can compete and, you know, be the team that Mets fans want them to be. Um, and at the end of the day, $2 million for a Metropolitan team, $2 billion for a... Uh, for uh, an entire TV channel to broadcast those games. Um, I don't think that's really all that crazy. Um, so I can't, I can't hate on this. I, I think that's actually a pretty decent deal if this is a long-term investment for him because, you know, we've seen this plenty of times in the past where sports franchises, you know, if you put the money into to really back the team and invest that that value just grows grows excuse me you know significantly so uh, in all i think this is a, a fairly good investment and uh for the mets i think this is great just because he will be that guy that puts money into it and cares about making this a a franchise that can compete yeah, and the and the competing thing, well, Corwin and I will will certainly get to soon. Um, so I I was doing a little bit of research into the value of the Mets, and Forbes has them listed as of April twenty twenty as a team value of two point four billion dollars. Really? Um, yes, that is that is what Forbes claims. Um, and so I wanted to see, so that that fits relatively in line with. I know, I know we're just kind of tossing $400 million out the window, but <laughs> let's, let's just round $400 million away. Um, so then I wanted to see how much SNY was worth to see uh, how, how, how that fits into the equation. And according to, to Bloomberg, the, the, the site, not the man, um, the Mets valuation in 2013 was $2.1 billion dollars. And SNY was actually part of the valuation of the Mets um, oh. at 1.2 billion, which means that the Mets themselves are only worth 900 million in 2011. Sorry, 2013, which is not good, um, oh. and very confusing because I'm wondering if SNY's value is built into the Forbes valuation of the Mets, but I can't see anything about it on their website. So. 
this sounds the more I look into it, the more this sounds like a great deal for the for the Will Ponds mm-hmm. because they will get out of the the Mets business, which I can't imagine um, is bringing them much joy. It's bringing them plenty of money, but God, they're hated in the city. Um, and it seems, I, I guess it'll be good for the Mets organization to have a better owner who cares more. And I guess it'll do better for um, Steve Cohen. He'll be happier. He's paying for it. But it, it certainly seems like it might be a slight overpay. Uh, I would like to now, Corwin, tell you about a chart I'm looking at. And actually, I'm going to send it to you because that would be a very hard conversation to have without you looking at the same one. Um, it's the Mets value over time. And so the the Wilpons bought it apparently uh, in 2002 at a at a at a price of 482 million dollars, which is a lot of money. And the value in the past 18 years has I don't even know what order of magnitude that is offhand, but increased to 2.4 billion dollars. So that is uh so they're basically selling the Mets, um, at a profit. Of if we, again we just take the two billion dollars, not the second two billion dollars they'd be getting for SNY, they'd be selling it um, at a profit of you know one point six billion dollars. One point five will be will be mean one point five billion dollars, uh, an ROI of three hundred percent. Seems pretty nice, right? Yeah, like uh, I said earlier, the uh, the growth, or, you know, the investment return on buying a sports franchise. Is pretty fucking spectacular. Um, it, it like uh, just the thought of buying something for four hundred dollars, holding on to it for you know ten years, and then selling it right back for twenty four hundred dollars is crazy. Um, you know, it's it's not a bad way to make money. No, it is not. Um... And uh, yeah, it, it's I'd, people I'd love to know what franchises have been, you know, have lost value time over time to the point where it wasn't an, an wasn't a good investment purchasing that team, because I can't imagine there's really any like actual examples of that. Um, I'd have to check. The only one that comes to mind with me is actually the Yankees. Um, go on. Because when they were bought by CBS, they performed terribly because CBS didn't care. And I believe their value either didn't hold or went down. Um, and that's when Steinbrenner bought them for, it was considered a fucking steal when he bought them. Like he bought them for like a song. Um, I, I'm trying to, I want to try to find it, uh, and while I'm doing the rest of this, but I, I, yeah. I make, I make no guarantees. Uh, what year did Steinbrenner buy the Yankees? It was the early seventies. I want to say he bought them in like 74. Okay. Okay. Decent chunk of time ago. Yeah, no, he's had them for a long time. Like, like. The CBS era of the Yankees, and I'll look that up, CBS era of uh, Yankees, um, it, was be- it was between the Yankees not winning any World Series or even really competing for them. 
It was it was 65 to 72. Those were very lean years for the Yankees. Like the Yankees won a bajillion championships from the night from like 1920 to 1964 and then have won several since 1975. You know, they won in 77, 78 um and then you know, all the 90s stuff and uh, 09 and all that. Um So Wow, zero pennants in eight seasons when uh, under the CBS years. You know, for a normal team that wouldn't seem too crazy, you know, winning a pennant is very, very hard. When you realize the context is talking about the New York Yankees, that's a big deal all of a sudden. Yeah, I'll say. All right, so so Steinbrenner bought the Yankees for eight point seven million. But I can't find how much CB, CBS paid for 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 the Yankees. Um, I don't even know where I would find that information, other than just googling it. So I don't know. Because um, now I'm really curious if this might be the only instance that that I can find of it, because that would be fascinating. Yeah. Like I know I know it wasn't like eight point seven million is not that much money. Not I know it's the seventies. Sports franchises, yeah. Yeah. And I know like I know it's the seventies and we're gonna account for inflation, but it's still not that much. Mm-hmm. Um Okay, I found it. Perfect. They sold Wait they on. sold it for a loss. Really? This CBS bought um and an 80% stake in the Yankees for $11.2 million. And then they sold that stake to, to George Steinbrenner for 8.7. <laughs> so wow. it's not like a crazy loss, but at the but same still, time, it's a sports franchise. They are money makers. Um, that's rough. That's really rough. Yeah. Especially wow. when it's not a nothing franchise, a whatever franchise it's the new york yankees yeah it is the second most valuable franchise in all of sports uh yeah they're now worth 4.6 billion but anyway let, uh, let's hop back over to the mets r- real real quick because there's one thing that um i want to i want to point out that i'm sure yeah. you're also looking at and that we also talked about yesterday is in 2014 the mets were worth 800 million dollars mm-hmm. and then in 2015 and that's coming off of a loss in 2000. I'll, I'll take it from 2013. 2013, they were worth 811 million dollars. 2014, that went down to 800 even. And then in 2015, it jumped nearly like 40 percent in value to 1.35 billion. And Corwin, what happened in 2015 that could possibly have uh, spiked their value? Uh, well, they lost the last game of the season. That's what happened. And that's kind of a big deal, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you typically want to win the last game of the season, usually. But making it to the show is still is still a hell of an accomplishment. That's right, yeah, folks. That's kind of a big deal. Believe it or not, went to a World Series in know, recent it's, memory. It's, you know, it wasn't that long ago. It was five years ago, and even just hearing it out loud is surprising. Yeah, it's also surprising by the fact that the Mets keep increasing in value since then, since they've shown the ability to decrease in value. 
Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, it's a $550 million jump in, in value in one season because they won a lot more games than they usually win. And that's one of the things Core and I were talking about is that it seems so odd to have owners that either don't give a shit about winning or are meddling in the affairs of the team that then causes them to not win, looking at you, James Dolan, piece of shit. Um, because, and, and like we said yesterday, it seems so obvious, teams that win are worth more money. Yep, it's not really hard to get behind because, you know, if you invest, you get more return off of the money you're putting in than if you just let it sit there and they try to figure it out with, you know, the A's way, the money ball way of going about it. I'm not, you know, I don't want to shit on the money ball, you know, system. It's just, if you are solely looking at, you know, making your franchise the most valuable it could possibly be, you put money into it. You want to spend yeah. money to make money, Josh. And it seems like a stupid thing to say because, again, we're talking about sports and, and you know, sports teams try to win. And yet, here we are because it seems so bizarre to have owners like, ah, Bob Nutting, who openly refuse to open the fucking purse strings and spend. Now, it, it sucks because they're making more money every year anyway. Um, because fuck man, people like sports and, and the money coming into sports as a whole is higher. Um, mm -hmm. although actually, interestingly enough, get this, um, the value of the Pittsburgh pirates has not increased nor decreased in four years. Why would it? I'm honestly kind of a little surprised it hasn't decreased at all, but then at the same time, what would he be decreasing too? Because it's not like their value could get much worse. I'd have to say that not increasing is actively decreasing. I understand. Right. Yeah. Like you can make the basic inflation argument, but also mm. when the rest of the league is increasing in value, if you're stagnating, you're falling behind. Exactly. If you're not improving, you're getting worse. Yeah. You're not getting better. You're getting worse. Exactly. Um, and I'm not surprised. It's exactly what you would expect of they've done nothing to show that they can be a competitive team. And I have no reason to think that they would be, you know, anything that they're doing would be improving the value of that team looking forward. And let's drive this point home a little bit by looking at some of the, the most valuable franchises in, in sports as a whole. Um, the most valuable one, as of um, according to Forbes in 2019, is the Dallas Cowboys at $5 billion. And they are the one team that Corbin and I agreed kind of actually don't fit this model mm -hmm. of being successful, resulting in you being worth more, uh, mostly because the Cowboys have history. They have history of success, but they also have like, they get a lot of TV time. They were for a long time the only team in a colossal market. Um, there's other reasons why the Cowboys are here, um, but it's the Cowboys. Followed by the Yankees, 
Oh, sorry, did you have anything to say about the Cowboys? Um, just that it basically comes down to the fact that they're the Cowboys. They're essentially the Yankees of the football world. Um, not quite with the success, but the popularity and the popularity to the extent that they're not going to like they're so popular that their value will go up and people will like them regardless of them being successful. And exactly. Year. Exactly. And they had the, the Yankees thing of being good in the nineties, mm-hmm. um, which was a pretty pivotal time for sports in terms of it, uh, broadcasting. Uh, anyway, that follows up with the Yankees at 4.6 billion. We've talked about them. Uh, 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 27 rings. We're better than you. We know it. Um, so that makes sense. Then we go down, uh, the, our first, uh, non U S team is here. Real Madrid at, at 4.24 billion followed by, uh, Barcelona. It's not surprising. First off that we have soccer teams here because soccer is the world's most popular organized sport. Um, and these are the two of the best teams. Um, Real Madrid no longer has, um, fucking what's his name? What's his fucking name? Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, I was trying to think of the name, and I could only really get. Uh, I had the R in my head. In my head. Yeah. Um. Yeah. He, he recently. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he recently left, but like he'd been on that team f- for fucking ever. Mm-hmm. Um. They they won the championship league uh four times in five years. Like they're really fucking good. Um. Uh, and then their their direct competitor, Real Madrid, that still has Lionel Messi on it, who is my favorite soccer player. Um, they're ridiculously good. They win La Liga like fucking goddamn every year. Um, and, and I think they also have four Champions Leagues wins. Like they're super fucking good. So not a surprise. Um, the next team on this list is interesting as to why they're here. Um, and I'd love to hear you try to rationalize why they're this valuable Corwin. It's the Knicks. Four billion dollars. Uh, yeah, that's um why are they worth this much? <laughs> I I can't tell you, Josh. Uh, they haven't they had are, a winning record since twenty thirteen. They are a historic basketball team located in the largest metropolitan area. Outside of that, uh outside of really playing in, you know, uh Madison Square Garden. There's really not much past those three specific things that would make me think, yes, these guys deserve to be this valuable. Uh, I don't get it. I don't get I I am a passive Knicks fan, and I don't understand. Um, It's mind-blowing i i get that they have the 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 fame aspect of it the the nick specific orange and blue i think is like the most recognizable version of that um Mm -hmm. but like they don't even it's not even like they really have like great marquee players you can really point to like i i get like carmelo anthony was really good for them but like he wasn't like yeah you know it's not like having like even james harden who like has MVPs and has a very recognizable beard. Like Carmelo Anthony's thing was hacked. <laughs> like <laughs> and then his, the last like marquee player before that was like Patrick Ewing, who that's great. And then I couldn't name you any of the players from before Patrick Ewing. Um, yeah. I, yeah. you know, I don't follow basketball, so I definitely will not be anywhere close to as knowledgeable in this as most other people. But 
if you ask me to name a Knicks basketball, you know, an impactful basketball player for the Knicks other than Patrick Ewing and Carmelo Anthony, the best I could probably do is like Amar Stoudemire. Um, oh, yeah, I know that name. Yeah. Um, I know that we're praying for RJ Barrett right now, but we'll see how that goes. That's a um, definite we'll see. Yeah. 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 Now, why couldn't we get Zion? Um, man, man, you is next up here. 3.81 billion. Again, this is a team that's fucking great. They win the Premier League all the goddamn time. After that, the New England Patriots. Don't have to say anything about that. Then it's the Lakers. Then it's the Golden State Warriors. And Corbin, this, the Golden State Warriors, make our point so explicitly. Mm-hmm. Like, if the fact that want- they're even on this list. Right. You know, if you did the same thing with the Mets where you pull up their team evaluation history over the past couple of years, uh, I imagine the 300% increase that the uh, Mets had since 2004, was it? Um, uh, 2002. Since 2002, either way. I have to think that Golden State would be significantly more than that just because... They built a good team. They built one of the best dynasties in the history of basketball. They had the best, you know, the most winning season in NBA history. I won't go as, you know, go far enough to say the best season. Um, you build a good team. The team is valued significantly higher. It's it's just that easy. I God, I know. Uh, so I I I can't. I don't want to like disable all my ad blockers to read the articles I'm I'm looking for. Um, so they've jumped again. So the 3.5 billion was from 2019. They're worth 4.3 billion now. Um, so the farthest back I have is 2011. Do you want to guess how much they were worth in 2011? I believe that's still pre Steph Curry. Forty five dollars. I think Steph Curry was on the team, but it was definitely before this this you know jump up to dominant dynasty before yeah, Steph pre- Curry broke out. Yeah, pre-unanimous MVP. Uh, you yeah, want to guess at the at the value? And I want to say, uh, I I don't even have a guess. Uh, three hundred sixty-three million dollars. That's such a puny, so like two thousand eleven. Not in nine in, nine, in nine years they've jumped like twelve hundred percent in value Ooh. from winning a lot of games. Yeah, that's I mean, how winning works. It'll help you. Like, I, oh. that's such a stupidly insane increase. Like, that is a that goes beyond comprehension. How big of an increase that really is. Uh, and yeah, you're right. So it was it was Steph Curry's second season. He had come off a season in which he led um, the league in free throw percent and nothing else. But it looks like a pretty tidy season all around. Um, so honestly, chances are, since he was on the team, there might've been more hype around them going forward, which might've probably would have increased their value a little bit anyway. So if we were to give them the Mets treatment, I can't even imagine like the Mets treatment of, in terms of how the, the scope of time we're looking at, I can't even imagine what that percent would be. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, but I bet it's fucking disgusting. Right. Uh, if you told me it was, you know, in the tens of millions of dollars, the total evaluation at, you know, the turn of the millennium. I wouldn't disagree with you uh, in the slightest because it just makes that much. It makes sense. It makes sense. 
so like, it really just makes me beg the question like how many how many straight winning seasons do you think it would take for the pirates to be valued at a higher amount than the mets assuming the mets have straight losing seasons and just hold the 2.4 billion dollar valuation so if they hold at that amount you know no increase no decrease just they stay at 2.4 right and the meanwhile the pirates go on like a golden state esque run where they're just in the world series seemingly every season um what how many was, seasons what was the uh value of the pirates at this point pirates are currently at 1.3 so they'd essentially need to just only double their value to pass the mets oh man uh i feel like it wouldn't just be winning seasons you know like they could have four or five winning seasons in a row where they're winning you know 85 games 86 88 games and not really do much no i'm talking i'm talking a golden state style run how many years it would take for that kind of run to make that impact yeah uh i'd have to say similarly to golden state it would have to probably be like maybe four or five i think anything kind of less than that and you're looking at just uh a run-of-the-mill you know a small jump up but nothing that would have that kind of impact um but like five years of being a champion contender championship contender every year that same level of dominance if it's the same level of dominance, you know, in relation to the rest of the MLB, like uh, Golden State was to the rest of the NBA, I don't think it would even take that long because you look at it and say, all right, these guys are, you know, one of the best teams, you know, in baseball history. And Golden State was also so young at the time, you knew that that success was going to keep going. So it might not take that long, but the fact of the matter is, they're never going to get to that point. It's baseball is just too different from, you know, the NBA. The NBA, you have five guys on the court. You know, one guy like Steph Curry, who's, you know, in the argument of the best player on the planet during that run, the impact he has for a basketball team is so significantly greater than baseball. I mean, look at Mike Trout. You could honestly say that there is without a doubt you know mike trout is better at baseball than steph curry is at basketball you know steph curry is a great player but mike trout's in competition for being you know in conversation of being the best baseball player to ever live and he's never gotten close to a championship contending team in the first place so I yeah I I know I know it can't happen, um, but goddamn it doesn't make me want to find out um, what that. So again, let's 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 assume that the Pirates get like six guys who are all Steph Curry levels of good. Um, sure. You know we're not being realistic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I just calculated the average increase um, per year for the the Warriors in the scope that I have. And it's an average increase of $443 million, which seems to fit relatively in line with the Mets jumping in value by 550 for appearing in one single World Series. 
So let's just average that out to $500 billion for appearing in the World Series. Okay. If, if that's the level at which we're talking, if the Pirates somehow got that good, in theory, they do two seasons and they're only $100 million behind the Mets in terms of value. And at that point, that's a rounding error. Right. And, you, you know, you throw a third season on there just for fun and they are they have surpassed the Mets in three years. And what's crazy is that if we're being honest, there was a point in time where the Pirates could have just done that. I'm not saying go to the World Series every year, but where they could they were already good enough. They, you know, they had cuts, they had some pitching. Fuck, three years ago they had Garrett Cole. And they were just like, Welp, this is too much. We're spending too much money. Um and they shelled talent and got worse. And their value has not moved. And instead, like, oh, this is now just fascinating to me. I am wondering how much money Bob Nutting gave up by not being a better owner. By not riding the wave of, we have a championship contending team with, you know, you add another player or two, and the Pirates are there back in the... 2013 to 2016 just pulling those numbers off the top of my head um you know you add just a little bit and that's a contending team and then here we are you know no nothing was done to improve the team they thought they could do a better job by going with the money ball approach and the problem was that their scouts and coaches weren't good enough to make it happen and they couldn't develop the talent they had they couldn't find the kind of talent they need to make that sustainable and the choice to go at it at the you know least expensive way possible has led to a team that's now not really worth much of anything Oh, and what sucks is that like if Bob Nutting sold it today, he'd be making a fortune um, because $1.3 billion is still a ludicrous amount of money. Yeah. Um, and he'd be thrilled to have it, you know? Um, it's, the, it's the weirdest part about sports being a business is that owners who treat it like a business tend to be the worst owners. Yeah. It's rough. It's really rough. Like you know, it sounds stupid, I'm, but it 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 should be an emotional investment. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's it's one of those things where you sure you can look at it and say like, "Oh, if I invest all this money and don't get better, that's a gigantic waste of money that, you know, is a huge loss." At the same time, like sure this might be a really great investment you know, safe investment in the long run. If you're looking to buy a franchise and sell it in 20 years to make a huge return. But at the same time, there's other investments you could do that, you know, you very well may know better. Um, and it's just, at the end of the day, it's a sports franchise, you know, it's supposed to be something that you're a fan of first and an owner second. And at least in my mind, you want the owner to want the team to be a contender because they want that as much as the typical fan does. Uh, Not even a typical fan, the way a diehard fan was because 
you're the fucking owner of the team. Right. That that's this is how I've always felt about George Steinbrenner. Mm-hmm. I've always thought that George Steinbrenner was uh, a bad owner, but the exact type of bad owner that m- most teams should want. Right. He ran payroll so close to revenue that it was unsustainable. Like he was willing to spend as much money as humanly possible to make the team great. And while that led to the stereotype of being of the Yankees being like able to just buy whatever player they wanted, that's what every fan would want the team to do. You know, every fan, if given the option of being like the Pirates and the Rays or being like the Yankees, would take being like the Yankees because you want your owner to be as serious about you winning as you do. Now, George Steinbrenner was a nightmare for other reasons, like, you know, getting suspended from baseball for gambling and shit like that. Um, But it's like that's that kind of passion is exactly what what we all wanted, you know? Right. Like if uh, Bob Nutting, I don't know what the operating income of the Pirates is, but let's just put it at value. Let's just put it at one point three billion for the sake of sure. those numbers are there. Um, it's not. You know what? Fuck it. I can't even do that realistically. Let's let's call it five hundred million. Um, okay. if, if Bob Nutting decided to let's let's say he currently spends ninety three million, that's probably high for him mm-hmm. for what it really is. Uh, but what would you what would you do if all of a sudden he just like dropped trow? And whipped his dick out and was like, "All right, gang, we're gonna we're gonna up this bitch threefold." And all of a sudden, payroll's at like three hundred million with with in, with with revenue at five hundred million. Wouldn't you be thrilled? Uh, if it went to I the right have players, feelings just because the faith I would have in him doing it successfully is nil. Um, but just the fact that he would be investing in it. You know, and and wanting to make these improvements is all I would need to really jump right back into being a a serious pirates fan again. Because it's it's been a while since we've competed, and you know, as a Pittsburgh sports fan, there's other sports in Pittsburgh that are more fun to watch and easier to get lost in, and you know. I love baseball to a point where I love the game and I love playing, you know, fantasy baseball and I'm not as tied down to a singular team as, you know, hockey or uh, football. But if nothing comes out and says, we're here to compete, you know, we're going to do it. That's it. I'm back in. Let let's, let's have, let's, let's make you sad and let's have some fun. And, um, Imagine over the last two seasons, um, the Pirates re-signed Garrett Cole instead of the Yankees at the exact same contract. was making $36 million a year. Um, signed Steven Strasburg when he became a free agent this past season, $36 million a year. Signed Anthony Rendon um, at 30, what he got, $35 a year. Um, got, got Bryce Harper last year at what he's getting, which is like 26 a year. And uh, did the trade with the Red Sox that the Dodgers did and got David Price and Mookie Betts at, I think David Price is getting $33 million a year right now, and Mookie's set to get, at 29, I rounded up to 30. That's uh, $196 million um, per year, which I am so sure the Pirates have, and yeah. would have added a ludicrous amount of war <laughs> to their team. Uh, you'd have three, you'd have such an amazing one-two punch between 
Cole and Strasburg, and then a super reliable number three with David Price. You'd have one MVP all-star um, in your outfield with Mookie Betts, and then another all-star in Bryce Harper. You'd have a MV, perennial MVP candidate at third with Anthony Rendon. I mean, it'd have been disgusting. It'd have been mm-hmm. disgusting. How much do you... like? And, I, and you can't sit there and tell me. I refuse you could sit there and tell me that that wouldn't have increased their value. Just signing the players wouldn't have increased their value. Uh, based on, on the value. prospect of how they're... Yeah, the total value. Based on the prospect of, of, of future uh, performance. Like... Yeah. Oh. oh. If, Could you imagine you, that team? No, I couldn't. Because at the end of the day, it's the Pirates and there's no imagining that kind of team uh, where it costs money. Um, but if you added that $192 million, I think you said... Uh, where would where would that have left the Pirates this season uh, ranking in payroll? Um. Well, here let's uh, let's look that up. I because I think pretty near the top ten um, MLB team payroll. Uh, I guess I'm going to do 2019 because I don't know how we're looking at payroll for 2020. Is that fair? Yes. Uh all right, cool, because I don't want to even think about that. Um, so just those players would have put them fourth in payroll, right behind the Astros, right ahead of the Red Sox. Hmm. So not ever going to happen. No. No. You know, it's, it's uh, one the of those Pirates, things where, like... I was curious, are currently sitting at um, 28th with $60 million in payroll. Hmm. Just behind the Rays and just ahead of the Marlins. Because, of course. Yeah. Oh, well. I shouldn't get my hopes up because it will never happen. Yeah, probably not. No. Sorry, buddy. It's okay. I got the Steelers. I got the Pens. I'll survive. Yeah, I'm sure you'll find some way to get by. Um, Man. Uh, who do you think is going to be the next breakout team and go on stupid run? Who who should we be watching the valuation of for the next five years? Uh, I mean, it's it's. I think in my mind, it's down to like two teams of it's either the White Sox or the Padres. You know, they're the two young up and coming teams that have a chance to take a serious jump in success, and who also have the young talent to support it. Maybe the Mariners because they have a lot of young talent. But I don't think they're quite nearly as close as the others. They just happen to have a three huge young players. Yeah, I was I was going to say White Sox and Padres. Uh, it also depends on how, and I don't have the information in front of me, so I'm. It depends on how you assume how we're going to assume league um, increases, how how teams increase compared to the league. Like, do teams have valuations that increase by percentages um you know like are you are you expecting teams to move up um via a percent of their given valuation are they basing it strictly off of performance and how much of their valuation is tied into how much mlb is valued as a whole um because mm-hmm. if it's more individualistic and we're looking at percentages just increasing how investments would increase um then you might it might behoove you to look at like the, the yankees and dodgers because those are 
two very good teams who are never really bad and who are already worth a bunch. So a 10% increase in value for the Yankees and Dodgers would be a much bigger increase than the 10% increase for the, the White Sox. But in terms of boom and bust potential, if we're looking at the, the the Golden State Warriors as our example of, hey, if you're not worth a lot, but you go on a stupid good run, then you too can increase your value by like a thousand percent. So that I think then lends itself to probably mostly the White Sox since the Padres are in a really big town and are the only team there, whereas the White Sox are in a really big town but are the second team there. So uh, tough tough to say, but I'll I'll throw my money on the White Sox as we all probably could have guessed I would. <laughs> yeah, that's not exactly a, uh, a surprise coming from you. Nah. Uh, got anything else of uh, any of the things we talked about? Um, not, not really. Uh, we talked about all the things we said we were going to talk about, and I can't remember anything else. So, I'm good. Well, this ended up being longer than we expected. Yeah, which I'm happy about for sure. Oh, God, it feels nice to talk about sports. It feels so nice. Mm -hmm. Uh, All right, then we'll get on out of here. As a reminder, of course, our Thursday episode will be uh, movies. Corwin's pick is Blade Runner 2049. My pick was um, The Great Dictator. So if you feel like giving those a watch, make sure you give those a watch ahead of the Thursday edition. Um, if you want to hit us up via Twitter, you can do so at JuicyPod. You want to hit us up via email, you can do so at juice the numbers at gmail.com. And until Thursday, y'all have a good day. Bye.